What I want to do this morning is uh, really look at the background of this book. I think it's easy sometimes to take a, take a book on the New Testament especially and just say, let's, let's dive in. I mean, straight in, see what's going on, what does this have to say to us? Um, but what I want to start off with this morning is a little bit of uh, working through some basic principles that are, are good Bible study methods. And some of you have heard some of these things before. If so, it's been a great refresher. It'll be hopefully a good refresher. Um, but before we actually jump into the body of the book of Ephesians, I want to I start off with, with a basic principle. If you were to come across a statement like this that simply says, I love the Indians, and you were trying to figure out what it means, you would need more information. You know, if you're, if you're looking through a bunch of old documents or whatever, and you find this statement, it was written by somebody, and then there's truth to it, but it's simply, I love the Indians, you really, you don't really know what's going on. You don't know who said it, and you ultimately don't really know what we're talking about, you know? Because this could be, this person, whoever I is, could be saying, I love the Indians, as in the Native Americans. Like I, maybe, maybe he's, maybe he's a part of a Native American uh, culture. Maybe there's somebody who is uh, passionate about Native Americans in the context of, of missions. We're not sure. Or it could be I love the Indians, as in people from India. Um, same thing. Might, might might be Indian himself or herself, um, or somebody who's just passionate about it. it. Could be the Indians, as in the Cleveland Indians. A baseball team. Maybe this person is a, is a fanatic sports fan. You know, they just they're born and raised in Cleveland, and they love Drew Carey, and they like the Indians. You know, go Indians. Um, maybe, uh, maybe it's a motorcycle enthusiast. You know, he's, he's not a fan of, of Harley Davidsons, but he really likes Indians because they're, they're it's a classic motorcycle. You know, everyone looks at Indians. It's just a good classic kind of motorcycle. If you're into that. Have a thing, you know. So you really, you really, you, you, you. I mean, we could interpret this. You know, we could all take a consensus and raise our hand and say this person <clears throat> is talking about Native Americans. Let's all just agree with that. But that that may or may not be true. And this is pretty stinking important information if you're really trying to figure out what the statement is about. And so what I want to do um, this morning is look at uh, who wrote Ephesians so that we could see what he is writing about in the context that he's writing. Um, just like this statement here, which is just kind of a silly example. Um, we also don't know the motives of this statement. You know, this person could be saying, I uh, love the Indians, and so I want to defend them. It could be cynical or sarcastic, and you're like, ooh, I love the Indians. Um, it could be saying, hey, I love the Indians so much that I think the Redskins ought to change their name because it's offensive. You know what I mean? Like there's this whole range of, of potential with who this author is and even the content of, of what he's trying to communicate. And so it's important for us to recognize who Paul is as the author of Ephesians and who the Ephesians were so that we can figure out who is saying this and why he's talking to or about them. Does that make sense? Okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, so 1-1. One, one. I'm reading from the ESV. Let's look at this together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament, and he uh, starts most of them out with a very similar introduction. And I know that uh, I went to a, I went to a conference, and they they were the conference was about how to how to teach through texts, and we were all given these different texts to teach through, and uh, one of the other guys that I went with was given, it, it wasn't his book, but it was another, another uh, epistle, and uh, he was given the introduction, so he's like, ah, I got the introduction, like, woo, what's all deep and theological about the introduction, it's like, ah, Paul, an apostle, you know, and then he kind of says this, it seems like he just says the same things in, in the beginning of, of every one of his books, uh, but there's vital information here that I think we should look at in order to get um, the fullest uh, value from this. So what I want to do for a minute is just kind of define who Paul is. Now, if you grew up in church, you, you know the name Paul. You probably know that he used to be known as Saul. Um, he was born in a town called Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. He was Jewish. And he was raised um, to be a very, very, very devout Jew, uh, a Pharisee, really. And we see uh, in Acts, um, let's look there, all right, because this gives us good information about Paul. Let's look at Acts chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. Acts 22, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 22, <laughs> verses 3, 4, and 5. Got it? Who wants to read it? Acts 22, 3, 4, and 5. Anna. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He was a very zealous Pharisee. He sat under one of the best one of the best teachers, and Paul's perspective of the law was that it must be preserved, that it was the most important thing. And so what he did was he sat under the uh, the, the best teachers that he could under the law, which we're going to look at another. It was an um, example of this guy, uh, Gamaliel, and he held people to it. And one of the worst things in Paul, in his zealous, pharisaical mind, was that there was now a sect of Jews that were following somebody else. That were not only following somebody else, but somebody who had been cursed and condemned according to the law that he was trying to hold, hold dear. Jesus Christ. That he, was, he would die on a tree. Anybody who dies on a tree is cursed by the law. So how can you claim to be leaving the sacred law to be following this? And so he actually thought that it was in the best interest of God's holy people to go and arrest them. So they can't spread this heresy. And to persecute them and, and to murder some. Um, let's look at Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Same book, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. 
who's got this? David Smith. Uh, read 7.51 through 8.3, but I'm going to stop you before then. You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. Stop for a second. <laughs> this is Stephen. Uh, this is Stephen speaking, all right, who is a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, now understand that Saul, the Pharisee, the, the zealous Pharisee, to him, the most important thing is to follow the law and to hold it dear and to protect it even to the point of death. All right? So enter Stephen, who's contradicting him, the one who knows the law, Saul, and he says these things, which are rather insulting. Okay? So start again at 51, David, please. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the fair uh, prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. It's insulting, isn't it? I mean, it's true, but, 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 but Paul's having his uh, face spit in, you know, by, by Stephen. But it's true. But Paul is saying, no, the most important thing is the law, and I will defend it. All the way to the point of death. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed at heaven, <coughs> to heaven, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. When they... Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devote men buried Stephen and made great limitation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who... That's good. It's almost <coughs> stop isn't it? I almost envision kicking in of doors. Um, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 1, he says, Saul approved of the execution. First, first, the first martyr um, in, in New Testament times. So this is Saul, later called Paul. This, this is who we're talking about here. But he has a miraculous encounter with Christ where, where he is converted. He's on the road to Damascus, if you've heard this story as a kid, um, and, he, and he runs into Jesus Christ, who has already been resurrected and has already ascended into heaven. Um, the timeline for all of this, it's hard to get it exactly right, of course, um, assuming that Jesus Christ was crucified around 30, 33 AD. Um, they said this conversion of Paul happened right around 33, 34. 
So it's, it's about the same uh, time. It wasn't like it was 10, 20, 30 years later that Christ appeared to Saul, soon to be Paul. Let's look at Acts chapter 22, verse 7, to see the conversion of Saul, Paul. Uh, Acts <clears throat> chapter 22. This is Paul's own recounting of what's happened here. Acts 22, 7 to 21. Who's got this? PG, please. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Keep going. Keep going, yeah. Through twenty one. Okay. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I saw the and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So we have Saul traveling down the Damascus Road with the intent purpose of arresting Christians. And he is accosted by Jesus Christ. Um, he says, uh, <clears throat> Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuted. So it's, it's clearly identified here as Jesus Christ, not just, uh, <clears throat> not just God or God the Father, but Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> and in verse 21, he not only sees Jesus Christ, but we see as the story progresses, it says, And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul is known as the apostle of the Gentiles. Uh, even though Paul is Jewish, that he's going out to spread the word outside the realm of, of Judaism. And we see that he's taken all these missionary journeys so that he could spread the truth of the gospel outside of Jewish circles. So we see that he's also commissioned here by Jesus Christ himself. So we start off this book uh, looking to see who is, is writing. It's not just Paul. I mean, it's easy just to chalk it up as Paul. But this is Paul the Pharisee. This is Paul the Jew. This is Paul the one who had dedicated himself to the very persecution of Christians and then had this, uh, this amazing conversion because he had a run-in with Jesus Christ himself. So when Paul is identifying himself to the believers, he's not just sending a book to the Ephesians saying, hey, this is, this is wise counsel. 
these are just my opinions, but he's giving some meat and some identity to, to who he is and what he's about and that, and that he's trustworthy. I mean, he's the one who started this church anyway, which we'll look into that in a, in a second. And then it says that Paul is an apostle. Apostle of Jesus Christ. There are two ways that the word apostle is used in the New Testament. Uh, one is a much lesser uh, definition, and it's only used three times, and it simply means to be sent out or to be a messenger. Um, but the more dominant usage of the word apostle has a lot more, a lot more meat to it. Um, scripture, we see in scripture that there are two qualifications uh, for this type of apostle, which is what Paul is referring to himself here. Um, the first qualification to be an apostle is that you have to have had an eyewitness account of Jesus post-resurrection. That you need to have had a run-in with Jesus Christ, not just, not just a run-in with Jesus, but after his resurrection, after he was risen um, from the dead. Um, Acts one twenty two says that um, to be an apostle, you must be, uh, become with us a witness to his resurrection. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. This is important because uh, Paul is using this as validation to his audience. Again, he's not just saying, hey, I'm, I'm one of your other pastors. But he's referring to himself and identifying himself very, very specifically. The New Testament only identifies 16, 15 people as, uh, as apostles. Now, they say that there's room in there for potentially other people to have actually fit these two qualifications. Um, but the New Testament only identifies 15 um, to ha- actually qualify as to be called an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this is, this is a pretty big this is a pretty big deal. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 7 through 11. Who can, I, who can I get to read this? Martin, please. 7 through 11? Yes, sir. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, and worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what, what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Thank you. Verse 7 says that he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely board. I am the least of the apostles. Paul is referring to himself as an apostle, we see specifically in his conversion account that he had that run-in with Jesus Christ post-resurrection. Um, the second qualification after uh, being an eyewitness of Jesus Christ um, is to be specifically commissioned by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. So the, the scripture tells us that there were a lot of people who actually did see Jesus Christ. There were eyewitnesses, hundreds and hundreds, actually. Um, but there were all, there were only a select few uh, that were commissioned by Christ to then take out his word that would then become scripture. So just because you were an eyewitness of Christ and then you talked 
didn't mean that you, your words would become associated with Holy Scripture, which we'll, we'll see here in just a second. Does that make sense? So not only an eyewitness, but having been commissioned by Christ, which we just looked at in the conversion story of Paul, that Jesus Christ told him to, that I'm sending you out to the Gentiles. Um, Question. We, shoot. Okay, so in the Matthew, the Great Commission, mm-hmm. how we're called, obviously we have faith. I don't think anybody in here, I haven't. I've seen Jesus face to face. Um, the Great Commission, we're called to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So, are we a pot? I mean, Great question. What, 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 what Bones is asking right here is, there's a lot of people who, who claim apostleship now. I will sometimes see... Um, the marquees in front of churches. Have you seen that before? Mm-hmm. With the apostle Greg Greg's. Um, <laughs> as, have you seen that before? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, and so there's um, there, there is some uh, uh, like they use that title instead of pastor. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the minor reference here as one who's being sent out. Because I think it was William Carey who was called the uh, apostle of China because he was the, the church planner. Um, but this, that's the context of being sent out. The difference there is application and interpretation. You know, the interpretation is specifically what is happening from the author to the audience. The application is what does that have to do with us today in 2013, okay? So the difference between us now and them then is that Jesus Christ was commissioning them specifically as interpretation, and our application is that we are supposed to follow the, both the example of the apostles and of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Yes. So we see the commissioning of the twelve, um, which were the twelve, minus Judas, plus Matthias, and then James' brother John, justice. Barnabas, and uh, Paul. Pardon? Who was justice? Wasn't he almost, but didn't he and Matthias also, like they chose between justice and so justice wasn't an apostle though no so that's the 15 that we know of does that make sense that's a good that's a good question because the the word apostle is still being thrown out today I think it's important for us to understand that there are two different definitions here because the definition is huge because this apostle right here is speaking the words of God that have become canonical in, in, in the scripture. All right, so when the eyewitnesses that have been commissioned by Christ and became apostles died, the canon, which is the body of the Bible, was officially closed. Make sense? All right? So when the apostles who were commissioned by Jesus Christ, they were eyewitnesses and commissioned by him to be his spokesman, so he worked, Jesus Christ and God the Father worked through the words of the apostles to finish out the scriptures. I want us to look um, at uh, 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 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We'll see an example of this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That was your question, Bones. I, does, that, does that help? Yeah. Can I answer your question? 
2 Peter uh, 3, 15-16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our brother, just as our beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist in their own destruction as they do other scriptures. This is a reference in other scriptures connecting other scriptures with the words of Paul. You see it there? All right. This is speaking of the words of Paul and how other people are taking his text and scriptures and treating them in the same way as the author here is doing, which is Peter. Let's also look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy 5. Thanks for uh, flipping around as we're jumping all over. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Um, there's two quotations here, all right? And it says in verse 18, but the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, which is a direct quote from the Old Testament, and the laborer deserves his wages, is a direct quote of Paul's. It's found nowhere in the Old Testament. Isn't that cool? And so there's an association with Scripture as not just Old Testament texts, but the words of the apostles. Um, any questions there? What I'm getting at here is that the apostles, the, Paul, to call himself the apostle of Jesus Christ, this is an office. This is a position. Right? This isn't just something that is describing him, but he is saying. I am coming to you with authority. I am coming to you, not one of, on my own, but somebody who has seen the risen Lord and who has been commissioned by him to give you these words. So he's identifying himself as one of a sacred few, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, so we have Paul. <coughs> Let's see where I'm at here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Meaning that, um, what are we here? By the will, odd placed whiteboard here. I have to reach over the desk. <laughs> Bob, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Let's look at Galatians 1, 11 and 12. George eats pie crust. Anybody learn that? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. When I was a little kid, that's how the, the order that I learned. George eats pie crust. General Electric Power Company. Anybody have some of those? 
You sang a song. Gentiles, like, yes. sing it, Amy. <laughs> Gentiles. <laughs> Gentiles, what? Eat pork chops. That's right. <laughs> you know, sometimes when uh, me, and, me and some of my friends would joke around and somebody would say something that, that say, you know, God in heaven, he's going, uh, yeah, just because you said that. <laughs> it's true. Gentiles. <laughs> So, however you want to remember it, you know, do what you need to do. Galatians, we're talking about this next statement, by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, not by his own, um, he didn't hire himself, he didn't assign himself to this task, rather it's by the will of God. Galatians 1, 11, 12, who's got this? He has somebody different. Galatians uh, 1, 11, 12. So Paul's saying, this isn't from me, guys. This isn't, this isn't my doing. This isn't my words. But this is a, a, a divine, truly, not divine as in pleasing, but divine as in from God, work that has changed me from the persecuted to the one who's trying to lead and feed the flock. And I've become an apostle of Jesus Christ with more authority than the, regular, than the average person. Not by my will, but by the will of God. Paul acknowledges his apostleship, but he doesn't do so in, with, with pride. He, do, he doesn't stand up on a chair and be like, listen to what I have to say. He's saying, no, on the contrary, this is not me. This, this, these, these aren't the words of men, and I'm a man. This, these are the words of God. So take heed. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints in Ephesus, we're faithful in Christ Jesus. So we've, we've established who's talking here. I mean, again, you could just, I really do think you could just breeze over this. Like, yeah, Paul, you know, he wrote all these books and Apostle Jesus Christ, of course he is. Um, but I think that this is valuable information. You know, I think this is stuff that's good for us to see, especially as we begin to dig into the text. Paul, an apostle Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful. Um, the word faithful here um, also has a, a couple different ways that you could interpret this. And, and it's interpreted several different ways in Scripture. Um, you could say that uh, David is a faithful uh, servant in the ministry here. All right? um, or you could say uh, that you're faithful in Jesus Christ. One, one reading of the text is that the saints that are in Ephesus are simply Faithfully doing the things that Jesus Christ has called them to do. Uh, but that's not the definition. Here it's specifically um, a word that actually could be uh, switched with believer. Um, the saints in Ephesus who are believers, who are followers, 
who have, have taken themselves and their lives and become saints. A saint is somebody who's been made holy. Another definition is, is, is a holy one. And to be holy means to be set aside, to be consecrated. To where you once were here, and now you have, you've changed, and you've been set aside and put up for a greater purpose. This is um, a letter written to Christians in Ephesus. So let's talk about Ephesus for a second. Um, Don Bruner and I got to sit at the top of the amphitheater in Ephesus, Ephesus that is still still there. Ephesus was a major city in the province of Asia under rule of the Romans. Um, it was the largest port in the region. It was a trade route, and they say there were roughly 300,000 people in, the, in, the, in Ephesus in the, in the close surrounding area. They say that, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's about 300 350,000 um, people in the Charleston, Greater Charleston area. Does that sound about right? Those of you that have that information? Huh? 120? I'm that far off? <laughs> I'm not an apostle. <laughs> 300,000. It's a major city. Um, Paul founded his church there. Um, Contained major structures such as bathhouses, gymnasiums, an amphitheater that sat 25,000 people. The North Charleston Performing Arts Center seats 14,000, just as a reference point. I mean, you've been to the North Charleston, all right? So the city of Ephesus was built, you know, BC, way, way BC. I'm not exactly sure what time the amphitheater was there, but, um, <coughs> but uh, it's still there now. Um, and Paul, is referenced being there in, uh, in Acts. Um, so it's actually pretty cool to sit at the top. Well, they fenced off the top. I don't know if it's crumbling or not, but as far up as you can go. If you've ever heard of the, the, the crazy acoustics that they were able to build back then, you know, you, we, sent, we sent Don down to the floor. We're far, far, far away. And you can just speak with a normal voice and we heard him way up at the top. So this place seats 25,000 people. So this is a, a significant city. It was primarily known, however, for the temple of Artemis, or the goddess Diana, interchangeable names depending on what language you're speaking, who was believed to be the twin of Apollo and the daughter of Zeus. Uh, the temple of Artemis was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, the, the pictures... There's one pillar left of it, by the way. <laughs> so we don't really, we can't, it, the, based on ancient texts, you know, artists' renditions, I wanted to show a picture of it, but I mean, mind-blowing. 450 feet long, you know, football field and a half. I mean, this is, this is BC that they built. I mean, just amazing, amazing architecture. Um, 200 feet tall, 127 pillars that just went around the entire thing, um, 225 feet wide, um, was a temple, uh, goddess of fertility, and, um, and the people of Ephesus were incredibly proud of, of this, it was, it was a destination, at one point, um, this is before the time of Christ, the temple was, was raised, and uh, um, the uh, emperor wanted to provide money to have the place rebuilt, and the Ephesians 
uh, were so proud of it, they said, no, we want to do it our stuff with our own money. Uh, they coined uh, coins that had the images of Artemis on it, and, um, and there was a significant, it was an industry, it was an industry. We see that there's a story of the silversmiths in Ephesus who were enraged that Christianity was actually beginning to spread um, because less people were buying trinkets of, of Artemis. And, uh, and that's how you know, this mob showed up and pushed a bunch of Christians into the amphitheater. And it says that they shouted, uh, great is Artemis, for two hours. Can you imagine 25,000 people in a stadium for two hours just shouting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, great is Artemis. And they almost basically lynched them until uh, the legal authorities came in and said, this is not legal. They didn't say they disagreed, but they said this isn't legal. So this is what's going on. But here's the thing, is that the temple of Artemis in Ephesus had temple prostitutes who um, committed themselves to Artemis. And, um, and we see that Paul here is addressing people who are followers of Jesus Christ who are not just followers, but people who are committed and have set themselves aside for a whole different purpose in their life. That they're not just people who are coming to a house church, but who have said, we are, we are taking ourselves out of this absolute pagan culture, even though we're still living here. We're taking ourselves out of this absolute pagan culture and being different and living different for a different purpose because God has done something different in our lives as opposed to the rest of the 300,000 people that are here. And so Paul is drawing attention to them as not just followers and not just believers, but as saints. And we see the word saints referenced throughout the Old Testament. So these are, they're people that, that, that they were able to look back to and see an association that you're not just a club here. You know, that you're not just a study group looking into new texts that have arisen, but that you are saints called by God as I was called by God to be set aside in the middle of this debauchery for a greater purpose. And you who are believers in Christ Jesus is who this letter is written to. Colon, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and, our, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The simple phrase, grace and peace to you, was actually a kind of a, an, an altered, common greeting in Jewish culture. A, 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 a normal uh, Jewish greeting would have been uh, mercy and peace. Paul was a Jew. So, you know, for us to walk around and say, have a good day, you know, we, we may or may not really mean that, but it's just kind of something culturally that we say when we're, when we're, when we're greeting somebody or departing from somebody. And so in Jewish culture, it was, it was mercy and peace. But Paul, he switched it up. Because we have the introduction of something in the New Testament um, in a whole new way because of what Jesus Christ has done called grace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of the 13 books that Paul wrote, um, he says this in every single one of them. Grace or a version of this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace can be looked at in, in different forms of, of definitions as well, like some of these other words, like apostle and whatnot, that we're, we've been looking at. The most common definition of grace is unmerited favor. Um, if he, let's go back to the original text, Ephesians chapter 1. 
George Eats. All right. Ephesians 1. Uh, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And grace is unmerited favor. So it's nothing that we've done to bestow the grace of God. It's nothing that we will do, future actions, to bestow God's grace, unmerited favor. But, but his, his favor on us, for whatever reason, is so unmerited that his grace was bestowed on us before we were born. Speaking to the saints here. You following? That his grace is so unmerited that even before the creation of the globe, his grace was assigned to the saints. <laughs> I mean, just mind-blowing. Grace and peace to you. 2 Corinthians 1.12. Let's, let's jump over there. 2 Corinthians 1.12. Grace has defined unmerited favor. 2 Corinthians 1.12. Who's got this? 2 Corinthians 1.12. Leslie? For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Not by earthly wisdom. So the ways of the world, the understanding of the world, the priorities of the world, the logic of the world, the teaching of the world, everything that's going on in Ephesus. I mean, it's a cultural center. It's an educational center. It's, 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 a, it's a center of wealth and industry. Not by the earthly wisdom, but rather, instead... By grace, by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. So in verse 2, when it says grace to you and peace to you, it's saying that may, may God's grace be bestowed upon you. God's, God's wisdom that only he can give you. That we have earthly wisdom all around us, but there is something else because you are a saint that is being given to you by God that only God can give you. And that only can be given to those that are saints. To the saints who are in Ephesus, who are believers, who are the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace, the ability to have a different wisdom that you can't grab yourself, that you can't attain yourself. May this grace, may this grace that is different than all that's around you, the ability to pursue righteousness that you couldn't do on your own, be given to you grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of chapter 1 of Ephesians just goes on and on and on about all that God has done for us and how he has empowered us because of what he's done. All that he has done for us and how he has empowered us because of what he has done. That God is all of these things and because of all of these things he's enabled you to do these things. So Paul, who is an apostle, not by his will, but by the will of God, to the saints, the holy ones, the set-aside ones, the ones who are different in this pagan culture, 
believers in Jesus Christ, you now have grace. Not just that you attain yourself, but from God and only from God, because it can only come from him, and you can only receive it if it comes from him. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has a theme, a peace theme, going on throughout his, his text. Um, Paul um, speaks of uh, believers in Romans 14, we won't go to all these, as ones who are supposed to pursue peace. In 1 Thessalonians 5, believers are supposed to keep peace with each other. In Philippians 4, it says that we're supposed to make uh, peace and be the watchman over our hearts and our minds. That there is an ethical and a legal element of peace that we are to pursue. That we are supposed to have peace in our marriage relationships. We are supposed to have um, peace in our worship. And that there is supposed to be peace in between the apostles and those that are also not apostles. There's peace, there's peace, there's peace, there's peace. And again, this is something that is a God-given uh, command, that, that is only God-given. You know, I think a lot of times as believers, um, when we speak of grace and peace, I, I, I have a tendency to take the God element out of it sometimes. Like, you know what? There are people that I'm not getting along with, there are people that I'm not enjoying being around, and what i got to do is just grit my teeth just get thick skin and not let it bother me and just move forward. You know what I mean? And just deal with it. You know, as long as I'm not sinning as a result of their being jerks, then we're at peace, right? <laughs> and what this is saying here is that there is something that is really from God that is not from you. Grace and peace. That it's only the gospel that can, that can pull these things together for you to be able to live the life that you're called to live as saints <laughs> and his followers in this place of Ephesus. The common theme here is Jesus Christ, even though it's just two verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul is just, I mean, reigning that this is about Jesus. It was about Jesus in my life, it's about Jesus in your life, and as you move forward, it's about Jesus, you know? It's about what Jesus has done in my life, or my crazy conversion and my commissioning as an apostle. It's about Jesus in your life that has resulted in you becoming saints. And as you move forward, which is the reason for this letter, for me to give you hope and encouragement and instruction, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Um, you know, we talked about interpretation first and, and application with the question that Bones asked. That when we're looking at texts like this, the first thing that we have to see is who is Paul writing to specifically and what was he trying to tell them? And then we could take this information and say, hey, what does this have to do with us? And so it's important for us to see who Paul was. It's important for us to see who the saints in Ephesus were. And it's important to see what Paul was specifically trying to tell them. You know, as we now read the text, as we, as we now look at Ephesians, or any other book of the Bible, it's important for us to acknowledge that this, I doubt that many in this room fall into the category of this is just the good, the good book. You know, That's what Homer Simpson referred to it as, the good book. Um, it's more than that. 
but it is something that is brought to us in a divine way. That is designed to speak to all believers. That when the apostles were commissioned by Jesus Christ, it was an act by which God wanted to communicate to his body, his church, throughout the rest of time. That we had the Old Testament prophets, we had the coming of Jesus Christ, and then when he ascended, he opened a window for there to be a further revelation that was eventually closed, which completed the 66 books that we have in here, and this is what we need. This is what we follow. And this is what we build our life on. This is what we look to for truth. That there aren't apostles out there that are adding to it. Revelation has great curses for those that add to this book. But that we look at this as this is a book that is from God. And that this is written to those of us that have followed the truth of Jesus Christ. But we don't, it doesn't end there. That we are given things by God. And we're going to see this throughout the book of Ephesians that we need from God, that we don't just have grace and peace by ourselves, that we need it to be given to us by God so that we can show and live and walk and talk grace and peace to those that are around us in our little Ephesus here. You know? So I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, the study. Um, we are going to be reading uh, one, um, 3 through 14 next week if you, if you want to spend a little time in it and just kind of get your feet on the ground. If you want, you don't have to, but that's where we're going to be at next week. Um, let me pray for us, and then we've got, we've got about 10 minutes before the class is officially done. Thanks for being here uh, on time, and give us some time afterwards just to chill. So if you would, uh, don't leave, <laughs> but um, you, you just greet the people around you and meet someone you don't know, and encourage them in Christ. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you that, uh, Father, there, there are things that only you can give us, that we, we, we were never expected to live the Christian life completely on our own. But, Father, that we have been enabled, that we have been empowered because of our, our, our saint status. We don't use the word saint often, but, Father, when we look at it in Scripture, we see that as those that are, are, are your followers, that are committed to a different way of life. And Father, may that be us. In Jesus' name, amen.